kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives of feel good sounds. Oh, Betty in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. She's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on, too You know I've never seen a better stew Oh, Betty and the Jets Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase I'm Betty, I'm a flight attendant for a major airline And I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots And from traveling around the world In this episode, we have quite a few stories from my uh, recent trip to Namibia, Africa Because I had so many, I really couldn't put them all in the first episode about Namibia And actually, strangely enough, these are the more entertaining stories But the other the other stories in the last episode all kind of went together uh, they had basically a driving afraid theme. But in this episode, we have stories about stupid passengers, drones, marbles, sexed up airline passengers, new friends, yelling, a monkey attack, love between animals, dumb blondes, famous directors, rhinos, pee, and tidbits. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. This was interesting. I was commuting home and I sat next to a woman and she said she was a flight attendant. And, you know, we immediately have, it's like a airline family. You know, you have a lot in common. So we basically chatted the whole flight and uh, she was asking me like when I was working next. And I said, oh, you know, I'm working a lot because I was in Africa and now I have to basically pay for my Africa trip. So I've got got a bunch of trips smushed together. And uh, she's like, what are you, what are you doing in Africa? And I was like, oh, I was on a self-drive safari. You know, I drove myself through the animals and we're talking a bit more and I just telling her some things about the trip. And she goes, are you a liar? <laughs> I'm sorry, nobody's ever asked me that before. I thought it was the funniest question. Are you a liar? <laughs> like, no. She's like, you were driving yourself through Africa and through animals. I'm like, yeah. Yes, I was. Look at me. I'm I was working a flight to Amsterdam, and there were these passengers. Well, I noticed that they were maybe not so bright. And when we got back to the galley, the girl that I was working with, I said, um, you know that that group there uh, that maybe, you know, maybe they don't travel very often. Maybe they drink too much, or maybe they're just not so bright. And she goes, you mean the dumb group? I was like, well, I was trying to be uh, more politically correct, but yeah, she's like, yeah, I noticed them too. It's mainly that one couple, but then uh, there's another couple in front of them. It was like they were infecting the other couple. I mean, these people, uh, I haven't run across this in a while. So she tells me I hadn't seen this one. She was picking up their meal trays. I had already given them wine a few times. They were getting a little loud, especially the woman. And so she picks up the meal trays and the woman goes, where's our wine? Where's our wine? And uh, my uh, 
flying mate said, uh, you're holding it. They were both holding their wine where she's going, where's our wine? <laughs> so the same lady, actually, I, I liked this group. They were not dull. The same lady, she's looking confused near the restroom. There's a group of four restrooms in the middle on this plane. And uh, she she said, I'm confused. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, I think I came out the wrong door of the lavatory. Now I don't know where I am. And I said, well, they all only have one door. <laughs> and I pointed her to, her to where her seat was. But then this was funny. The uh, the guy sitting in front front of them, who they weren't big drinkers. I think they probably don't travel much. But he stops me and says, uh, "This we're about forty five minutes out. We haven't, you know, forty five minutes from landing in Amsterdam." He he stops me and says, uh, "Have we landed?" I have had people ask me that before, but it's been a long time, and I'm like, uh, "No," and he goes, "Well, it feels like we're standing still." <laughs> it's like, okay. My niece is a teacher. Okay, so she has a class full of kids, and she has some that go to a special English as a second language class, and the teacher comes to get them sometimes throughout the day, and they go to another classroom. Well, she's taking role the first day, and this one little boy, she pronounces his name, and he says, Anahi. And she says, okay. Say it again. Anahi. And so she says the name again, and he goes, Anahi. So she goes, okay, Anahi, I got it, got it. So the rest of the quarter, she starts calling him Anahi. Well, one day this English as a special, as a second language teacher comes in, and she says, I need to see Juan. She said, oh, I don't have a Juan in here. She said, well, Juan's right there. And Juan goes, I told her, I'm not he, I'm not he. <laughs> I check into this hotel, and on the front desk is a big photo of a drone with an X through it, and it says, no drone zone. And I was like, I've never seen this before. And they're like, oh, it's a big problem. She goes, you know what happened? This is at the hotel where they had to, um, you have your rooms, and then you have a little river, and then there's a bunch of animals on the other side uh, of the river, of uh, the lake, water. I don't know exactly what you'd call it, a body of water. And um, she goes, what happened was, we're here at the front desk, and we hear this noise. And we're looking at each other like, hmm, what is that? And this tourist had this bright idea that instead of, you know, you can get good pictures from the animals across this body of water, but he thought, I'll send my drone over there and get close-ups of the animals. Well, the animals... <laughs> took off running, which you can understand, because they'd be like, what is that? What the heck is that? So she said the animals were gone for two weeks. <laughs> no zone drone. No drone zone. One of the things I like about being in Africa, sometimes you see things how maybe how people used to do things and um, and things that I hadn't even heard of. So I'm in my room in my hotel and uh, I like to have my coffee in the morning and most places had a hot water kettle and, um, you know, instant coffee, but that's great. I can have my coffee and um, I had the hot water kettle, which you have in like every room in Europe uh, and um they're marbles. 
two marbles in my coffee maker. And I was like, hmm, hmm, marbles in the coffee maker. <laughs> so I went ahead and put the water with the marbles. And you know, it turns out it's so that when it's boiling, you know it instead of like an automated noise, which we have now, I guess you used to put marbles in your coffee maker so you would know when the water was boiling because they would spin. Interesting. Okay, so when you first started flying? So when I first started flying, we were on the L-1011, and yeah. you know they've got a back mid-galley. Yeah. So there's the back D-zone, and then right yeah, in front of that, one. that has all the blankets and everything that we used to have in there. Well, in the middle of the night, oh, the we closet. hear, yes, we yeah. hear the um, bells go off like crazy. It's a, um, a uh, military guy. Yeah. So we're like going back there. We're like, what's going on? What's going on? He's like pointing to this couple sitting right next to him. And there's a child sitting right there beside them. They are just going at it. Not a care in the world. Clothes off. No blankets. Nothing. So. In front we, of a kid. Yes. And the kid it was, was awake. Yes. And it was our, his mom and dad were asleep. Because it was the middle of the night. And I was new. My friend was new, so we didn't know what to do. We were like, oh my God, what is going on here? So we just go back to the MSC, grab all the pillows and blankets, and then just throw it on them. They don't budge. They keep going until they finish. So we take off running up to the, the purse or the uh, flight leader, and he says, what's going on? He's a gay guy. He goes, what's going on? I said, this couple back here, they don't know each other, is just going at it. And he's like, oh, hell no, not on my flight. So he goes stomping back there and he's like, excuse me, excuse me, you need to stop this stuff. There's a child sitting right here watching you. And they didn't care. They had been drinking in the bar together, didn't know each other from Adam, and were just having sex. They got up after they finished, walked to the back, cleaned themselves up, came back, sat down, and went to sleep. You know, there's a, another story like that where the guy went back and said, Hey, cut that out. <laughs> hey, cut that out. I don't usually talk anything about politics. Um, I don't like to comment because I don't feel like I'm all that informed. So, uh, but I was in Namibia and people kept bringing up, this happens to me all over the place, um, people will bring up Trump to me. They want my opinion. And um, I, I think it was in my subconscious, but I did remember him President Trump speaking to, I think, a group of African leaders and calling, uh, he said, the leaders of Nambia. And uh, at the time, uh, and maybe this says something about me, I assumed I must be unknowledgeable because I thought, huh, where's Nambia? <laughs> I just assumed it was an African country I didn't know of, whereas he meant Namibia. On the way to Namibia, I watched an excellent documentary called Three Identical Strangers. If you haven't seen it, it's really worth seeking out. 
three identical strangers. It's about three identical triplets who were separated at birth and meet at age 19. It's fantastic. And I, I kept thinking about it. That's what makes a good movie is if you keep thinking about it. You know, it was all about uh, nature versus nurture. What, How much is genetics a factor? How much is your environment? And um, I was staying at Mount Etcho Safari Lodge, and I met the most interesting couple. I had the best conversations I'd had in a long time. Um, actually, the girl woman um, approached me at the entree line and she was interested in me because I was a American female traveling alone and she runs charities that empower women. So uh, she was intrigued by me and after dinner we ended up having drinks and staying up until like 1.30 in the morning just talking and uh, really enjoying each other. But get this, uh, Pretty early on in the conversation, her boyfriend brings up that it's her birthday in two days. And I was like, that's my birthday. But I didn't mention it. Uh, I don't really like to tell people when my birthday is. I, I don't know. I just didn't I just didn't bring it up. But I was thinking, I don't know if I had ever met anybody with my same birthday. And I was still thinking about that three identical strangers. Like, what is in your genetics? And granted, astrology isn't genetics. But I just thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I at some point brought up the fact, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but I have a strange, (laughs) there's a big surprise or something strange about me. I have a strange compulsion to rescue bugs in pools. I don't know. It gives me some weird pleasure. Uh, I I get excited when I see a bug (laughs) thrashing around in a pool and I think, oh, goody, I can save it. And I get a stick or a leaf. And at first, you know, they think that you're trying to harm them. And then I get them off and then I watch them dry off. And um, I don't know, it it's, I, I wonder if the bug is surprised that the giant's helping them. Are they happy? Like, uh, are they still just so traumatized? Anyway, I, I don't know why I like doing it so much, but I do. And so I bring up something about, I'd been to the pool that day and I spent a bunch of time rescuing bugs and her boyfriend said, oh my God. She doesn't stop. She spends her whole time at the pool rescuing bugs. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, that's so weird that we have the same birthday and we're both bug heroes. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post some Instagram uh, to Betty in the Sky uh, about the bugs. <laughs> okay, so then I was also thinking, um. Like, I kind of fell in love with those two. Like, I just enjoy talking to them so much. And it was just like a high. And then I was wondering, do you meet more interesting people while traveling? Is it because I'm more open? Or is it the type of people who travel? I don't know. But um, it's one of the things I just love about it. Meet the best people. It was about, I'd say, 15 years ago, and I ordered myself um, a laptop, yeah. and it was a um, small one. It was about, I guess, 15-inch, and so I'm on the airplane. It was domestic flight, and I'm on the airplane serving, and then this guy's sitting up front, and he have a laptop on his lap, and so I just looked down, and I said, so what size is that? <laughs> he just looked up at me, and I'm like, oh, the laptop. <laughs> I 
I'd like to thank any of you who were so kind when you were going to buy something on Amazon and they have everything. Uh, you went to my website, BettyInTheSky.com. It doesn't cost you any more. It supports the show. And I like to see what people buy every month. Uh, I like somebody bought lettering for architects and designers. Red flags of love. Ten signs you're dating a sociopath. Uh, I'd say you don't need ten signs. <laughs> And a five-string banjo. I'd also like to thank Harry from New Zealand, who did a really nice donation, and I got it on Christmas Eve. It was a nice Christmas present. So any of you, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, go to my website, bettingthesky.com. doesn't cost you any more, and it supports the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This was a really weird thing. Uh, and stressful. Um, my first night in Namibia, I knew I was going to be tired and uh, I was I knew the drive was going to be stressful. So I booked a place that was only like an hour and a half from the airport, which of course took me much longer than that. But I was glad that I didn't try to do like a four hour to where I really wanted to go. Um, sort of was breaking it up. And um, this was uh, like a government run part of the national parks. Uh, you know, nice enough, everything. Uh, so um, there's no other place to have dinner. So I have dinner at the restaurant and there was no Wi-Fi in the room. That happened almost everywhere. But um, they said there was Wi-Fi at the restaurant. So I go to the restaurant because I'm going to use the Wi-Fi and I want to make sure I have my maps ready to go for the next drive the next day. And um, I sit outside and I ask the waitress, um, well, what's the Wi-Fi code? And she goes, oh, it, it doesn't work. And I was like, but I'm like, okay, all right. So I had dinner and then I go inside to pay and I see some other tourists on their tablets and stuff. And I say to my waitress, I said, I thought you said the Wi-Fi didn't work. And she said, oh, it doesn't work outside. And I was thinking, well, you could have said that. But anyway, uh, so I, I ordered a beer and I, uh, I like to try beer in different countries, <laughs> you know, <laughs> went in Namibia. So, uh, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just sit here at the bar and use the Wi-Fi. And so the girl behind the bar and the guy, they were just chatting nicely and asking me where I was going. And I said, I'm going to Mount Echo next. And they didn't even know where it was. And then the guy was like, uh, I could be your tour guide. I'll go with you. My luggage is packed. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, uncomfortable laugh, like I'm going to take somebody I don't know on a trip with me. Um, and plus, they couldn't really even be a tour guide. I'd never been where I was going. And I had a car. So like, I'd be driving. Uh, basically, I'd just be taking a stranger on vacation. Like, I'm going to take a 22-year-old African boy on vacation with me? I don't think so. So um, then the girl was like, no, I want to go. I'll pack my luggage. I'll go. I'll be your tour guide. And I'm like, ah. you know, I'm just trying to use the internet and get the maps and stuff. And they're, you know, they were being nice enough, but I'm not taking anybody with me. And uh, so it was slightly uncomfortable. And like when I was leaving, the girl was like, I'll see you in the morning. Uh, I'll be ready. And like, I didn't know. I, didn't, I thought, well, is this like a joke they do with all the tourists? Or was it because I was by myself? And so then the next day I go to breakfast. Breakfast is included. And um, I'm going to use the Wi-Fi quickly before I get on the road. And uh, this other girl, who I hadn't even been talking with the night before, says, um, and she used a name. I didn't get either of these two people's names. I I, I just stayed, was there in, enough time to, to have a beer. Uh, 
And uh, she says, I'm like, I was like, Namika? She's like, oh, Namika's ready. She's got her luggage packed and she's going with you. And this is somebody I hadn't even talked to. She's saying it like, like that's happening. And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I don't. And then you wonder if there's like a language barrier. And I'm thinking, good God, somebody thinks they're coming with me on my trip. Like, I'm going to stay in the same room with them. Like, that's crazy. So I hightailed it out of there. <laughs> I didn't want to deal with any um, misunderstandings. But I certainly never said I was taking anybody on, on my trip with me because that's nuts. This is another same family uh, a wedding and I have a niece at this time that has a really deep voice as a little girl and she's trying to stop sucking on her pacifier well they're trying the parents are trying so they take away her pacifier and they're on this the very the very back row of the wedding in case she starts getting loud or anything but also one of the family members is filming the wedding with the audio as well so all of a sudden she says I wanna suck it. What? How old is she? She's three or two. <laughs> and nobody says anything. And then she gets louder. I wanna suck it. And <laughs> it gets louder and louder and louder. And finally, they're all laughing. And even the girl that's filming is laughing. And so the camera's going up and down and up and down as they lack it. So she finally, sometimes finally says, oh, give her the damn thing. So they give her her passing oh. and she sucks it. I don't know if you can use that story. No, I like it. I want to suck it. I want to suck it. I was staying at this place in the desert, the Ugab Terrace Lodge, and um, uh, they had some giant hills, very scary road going up there. It actually said, um, there was a sign that said, difficult roads can lead to beautiful places. <laughs> well, I was taking a hike uh, around there and um, being careful for the scorpions and the snakes that you don't make it to the hospital. Uh, and um, I came back, it's hot, you know, and um, there's a guy, a local guy, standing at the top of the hill. I mean... It's far. I mean, driving, granted, it was a bumpy road. It took me, I don't know, 15 minutes driving. And he's standing at the top of this hill going, he's yelling. I I didn't know what he was yelling. I think he was yelling in Afrikaans. Uh, But he's yelling. He's got his hands out. He was kind of, I was thinking, is he doing, you know, like the, I'm the king of the world. (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) And then I get a little closer to him and he says, hello. And, uh, I said, uh, what were you doing? And he said, oh, I was um, telling my, my family down there to come and get me. So I thought he was doing like, I'm the king of the world. And what he was yelling was, hey, I need a ride. And what's so weird is there's so few people out there and uh, you could just yell. <laughs> they come get you. So I had been worried about a lot of things, the driving, the flat tires and things in Namibia. And I'm uh, flying home. I was lucky enough to get first class. And there was this nice couple, real pretty girl, uh, married couple. And uh, she's visibly upset, uh, traumatized or, or whatever. And um, the flight attendants were being real nice to them. And I was kind of trying to figure out what was happening. And uh, uh she said to somebody, why well, I was attacked by monkeys. And when, you know, you say that, I think, oh, you know, they jumped on her head or, you know, they took her peanuts or, you know, when you say attack, you, you, 
most people don't really mean attack, attack. Well, guess what? She got attacked, attacked. Well, well this guy, he was then we started chatting, had a nice conversation. And uh, he said, well, we had never been to Africa. And they had they were doing like an expensive safari, like where you fly from place to place. You know, it does. Uh, it's less stressful, you know, um, safari is going to be very expensive. Anyway, they were doing this nice expensive safari. And he said, oh, the first day they get in this plane, they're going to fly to their first camp. Well, Cessna, I don't know, probably holds like, I don't know how many people, um, I would imagine the most 10. And she said they're at like 5,000 feet and the door flew open. And uh, and they were like, ah, which of course you would be doing. And uh, she's saying to her husband, don't unbuckle, don't unbuckle. And she said there was another guy that was trying to shut the door. And um, and she said then the husband unbuckled and she's holding on to him and he's trying to shut the door. And uh, they ended up going back and and uh, he's like, I'm out of here. Let's go home. <laughs> First day. And you can understand, you know, you're like, this place is going to kill us. <laughs> So then they tell the story that um, the whole trip they'd been together, uh, he's never let her out of his sight. And uh, before they left, she wanted to get the pre-rabies shot. And he, they said that the shots were going to be like $1,500. And the husband was like, what are the chances? We're not going to get bit by an animal. We don't need to do this. So the very last day of their trip, she's going to go to the gift shop. First time they haven't been together, she goes to the gift shop to buy some presents for somebody. And uh, she sees some monkeys with uh, baby monkeys. And she's just standing there looking at the cute little baby monkeys. And the monkey made a noise. She said it was kind of like a honk. And all these monkeys just attacked her. They were biting her leg. And she said they had like uh, rules at the hotel. Uh, And one of them said things like uh, if... uh, a monkey bites you to just stand still. She said, but there were like uh, 20 monkeys biting her, like breaking the skin. And she's like, F that. She's like, blah, and ran. And so, uh, my goodness, talk about here. I was worried about stuff happening on my trip. <laughs> they had two big things happen on their trip. And uh, he was saying, the one time I leave her out of my sight, she gets attacked by monkeys. And um, she had been nervous about this and, and they had like a medic at the camp and the medic was like, oh, I think you'll be fine. I don't, I don't think you probably need the rabies shot. And she's like, probably be fine. Maybe. <laughs> so they were able to get a rabies shot at the hotel, I mean, at the airport in Johannesburg. But I was like, wow, did they have a lot of stuff happen on their trip? A friend of mine sent me this story, and I thought it was fantastic. And, you know, in the last podcast, I was talking about how uh, at that hotel, the number two rule was hot water for the shower will be supplied by donkey, which I thought was quite odd. But it was actually just the way they basically were saying it's a furnace, like a wood burning furnace is a donkey. And then when she was on the phone, she said donkey when she's getting off the phone. And that means goodbye. So anyway, this story is about a rescued six foot emu and feisty donkey are in love, creating trouble for a North Carolina shelter. A boy donkey and a girl emu have apparently fallen in love and their relationship has created a problem. For the shelter, the odd pair, emus are similar to ostriches, are so closely bonded that they are refusing to leave each other's side. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) They like to cuddle and even sleep together. 
We can't separate them. So we need someone who is willing to adopt both a donkey and an emu, and that may not be easy. <laughs> it says rescuers made the mistake of trying to separate them once. And the five foot five donkey started crying, and the six foot tall emu got frantic and paced around like an expectant father. <laughs> They're now kept in the same enclosure, and they await adoption, which she predicts will likely never come. Well, then there was a second article that a actor from The Living Dead is adopting both the in-love donkey and emu. Fantastic. One of the things I liked about this emu and a donkey story is kind of like a joke. An emu and a donkey walked into a bar. Gave the pilots a break, yeah. and they both had to go use the restroom. Yeah, and um, so they the first one goes and they swap out, and yeah. then the captain looks at the co-pilot, goes like, "Didn't I tell the dumb blonde that I had to go to the bathroom too?" And she taps him on the shoulder and goes like, "The dumb blonde is standing right behind you." <laughs> I was on my Namibia Africa trip. I wasn't getting a lot of news. Uh, I usually didn't have a television and I didn't have Wi-Fi in my room. So it's kind of nice, you know, to be disconnected for an amount of time. I think it's healthy. Uh, I did, while I was on the trip here, that Bernardo Bertolucci died, the famous director, like Last Tango in Paris, lots of really good movies. And it brought back these memories from a long time ago. Uh, some of these stories are in... Um, my nonfiction book, Betty and the Jets, The Adventures of a Traveling Fool. Um, but I used to date that actor who had lots of important friends. And uh, I actually was at a dinner with Bernardo Bertolucci <laughs> back in the day. I think it was at John Malkovich's house. Now, those are things I don't say anymore. <laughs> I don't have dinners with famous actors and famous directors. You know, it was a time in my life. Uh, sometimes I say it was kind of like climbing into People magazine, uh, which was fun. And it's almost like, you know, I like to travel. It was kind of like traveling to a different time, different type of life. It was interesting to see. But I remember, I felt bad to hear that Bernardo Bertolucci died. He was with his girlfriend uh, when we had dinner. And I remember thinking uh, during that time when I climbed into the People magazine, uh, it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be because the people weren't as friendly as I would have thought they might be or as happy as they I thought they might be since they seemed to have so much. But one of the things I did notice is that the bigger the star or the bigger the celebrity or the more success somebody had. Like I remember thinking that Bernardo Bertolucci was a lovely man, and he was actually interested in talking to me, whereas a lot of these other people, um, once they found out that I wasn't in the business and I couldn't get them anywhere, you know, were very dismissive. <laughs> uh, the big stars, someone impressive like Bernardo Bertolucci, was just lovely. I was very pleasantly surprised to see how many rhinoceros there was in Namibia. They seem to be doing really well. And actually, there's like a Operation 
rhino. Uh, you know, one of the things that's really nice about Namibia, I think it's one of the only countries in Africa that has uh, conservation and animal protection in their constitution. I mean, they're serious about it and they seem to be doing very well. Um, but there's a, I saw a lot of rhinoceroses and I was on a game drive and he was saying, oh, this is a, there's black reno and white reno, you know. And, you know, I always heard rhino, but he said, oh, yeah, well, we say, basically said, yeah, you know, I say Reno, you say Rhino. Okay, on the flight to Berlin, we were working in coach, and at the exit rows, there was a young gentleman sitting there, and we were serving him Coke and uh, Jack Daniels one at a time. So we did our dinner service, and we started to pick up. And he proceeded to stand up and pee on the seat in front of him. <laughs> we all somebody in the seat in front of him? Yes, of course there was. <laughs> and we were all dumbfounded and just looked and went like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Put a blanket because he was gone. He was, I don't know if he took Ambien or yeah, something. Yeah. He was out, so we just let him finish and then cleaned <laughs> up. Well, I couldn't say, hey, hold it. He was <laughs> he was gone. Well, what are you doing? And he just looked and continued. The bathroom was right there, maybe three feet away yeah. from him. Quite often on the European flights, uh, we have different pilots going over, then coming back, they're going to another city, they're on like a six-day trip, and we're just doing a three-day trip. So we had uh, different pilots coming back from Amsterdam, and in the van, uh, apparently, they had been talking about it at the bar the night before, and the flight attendants were like, he was on that flight where the woman took her, her, her bottoms off. And I'm like, her bottom's off. They're like, yeah, she's in first class and she took off whatever. I don't know if she was wearing pants or a skirt and her underwear and was laying there, uh, bottom bare. And they said they tried to put a blanket over her and she kept kicking it off. She had taken Ambien and, you know, the Ambien has um, died down. I think that word has gotten out. Maybe people listen to me, <laughs> but we've, we haven't had as many Ambien zombies lately. But I thought it was funny that instead of like uh, bottoms up, she was bottoms off. Some interesting little tidbits from my Namibia trip. I was in the National Park, Etosha National Park, and I was staying at one of the um, rest camps there. And uh, the room was, you know, it was pretty nice, but the air conditioning didn't work and it's very hot. Uh, I had a similar story in the last podcast. And um, I had thought I could go to sleep with the windows closed, but just I was just woke up in the middle of the night so hot and thought I've got to I've got to open the windows, but what am I going to do with my stuff? Again, there's no safe, so I decide to sleep with my backpack. So I go to get my backpack, and I had seen this thing on, I think I'd seen it on Instagram and decided to get it, and it's supposed to be this little alarm that you wear, safety alarm. And, you know, I can't carry... um mace or anything with me on layover. So I thought I actually um, had felt very confident with my little my little alarm because it's supposed to be that the noise is supposed to be as loud as a jet engine. So I was like, you know, that's pretty good. That'll scare away someone. And like if I'm walking around and it's dark or I feel a little odd, I have my, my hand on my little my little alarm and it's like, okay, everything's fine. So I go to get my backpack at this hotel and um, 
I went to pick it up and I must have, it must have been, it was like one of those things where you have your luggage on and it's kind of like wood slats. And I guess that alarm on my, because it had been hanging on my backpack, had gotten down there. So when I picked up, so when I picked up the backpack, uh, it must have pulled the alarm, but I didn't know what it was at first. And I was like, what is that noise? Well, that's irritating. <laughs> I didn't even realize that it was me setting off the alarm. And let me tell you, it certainly was not jet engine noise. <laughs> It was like a mildly irritating noise. Nobody even noticed or nobody came or uh, it took me a while to figure out how to put it back in since I'd never used it because I didn't want to hear the jet engine noise. (laughs) Not so much. Okay, and then another thing, um, I'm always talking about how I have a blonde afro in a lot of these countries I go to because it's humid. Well, Namibia is the exact opposite of that. It's a desert. And I kept looking in the mirror going... Wow, I have good hair in this country. <laughs> I mean, I like two or three days after I washed it, I was still kind of like, my hair looks great. It was highly unusual. And then at the Amaruru uh, Game Lodge, they had this giraffe named Sammy. And um, they said, oh, he's naughty. They said, we do give him food, but he's naughty because he really likes people. And he kind of tries to get over the fence. There's like a fence from where the the dining area was and then where the animals could be and you know giraffes have awfully long legs and they were like he just tries to climb over because he wants to get even closer to the people and it was odd um sammy the giraffe i didn't have any food or anything and he kind of liked to bend his neck down and rub his horns on my back kind of like snuggle but it also makes you a little nervous because they're so big you know you kind of go like <laughs> scared of a giraffe Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.